We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In an effort to constantly update and innovate at the podcast, we've introduced blue cards where when they are handed out, we'll be unable to speak for 10 minutes. I have just been issued a blue card. Oh shit, how's this going to work? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith, Blackman, Twitter, Gunner. How do you do that? We just hit blank air for 10 minutes and then I edit it out. You wouldn't even know the blue card had been issued. Wouldn't make any sense. And in case you're not sure what I'm talking about, the uh, the powers that be have announced that blue cards will be trialed, not in elite competition right away, but uh, the FA Cup appears to be um, a proving ground for that. So we will be able to see referees who already seem challenged to uh, administer somewhat ambiguous laws of the game, challenged to further uh, administer more ambiguous laws of the game. I'm sure there will at no point be any controversy around this. I'm not sure that our idea of 10 minutes uh, where we no, no longer talk into the microphones, though, will make for good podcasting. So we're going to go back to the drawing board with that one. What we don't have to go back to the drawing board with is the concept of rewatches. We do rewatches at Patreon, and Clive and I rewatched the first half of the Liverpool game. There will be a second half rewatch, I believe, although that's not booked yet, so don't hold me to it. But for a lot of people saying, wow, you know, I just watched it for the first time. I didn't realize you actually have the game on the screen while you do it. Of course we have the game. That's why we call it a rewatch. So we watch along, we pause. Clive gives you incredible insight, um, and this one I think was particularly insightful. He had some observations about how we dealt with Joe Gomez that I thought was interesting, the way we formed a box in midfield. Um, how the first goal came to pass. So really fun stuff if you want to check it out. We also did a pod on some news stuff. So how Chelsea are doing, um, whether Pochettino was ever a good manager. That was fun. We talked about Rashford's future landing spot and where that should be, things like that. So lots over there that you can listen to. But here's the good news. You're over here right now, so you can listen to this because this is literally playing. You're literally listening to this right now. So that's cool. Uh, lots of good stuff coming up. But the most important good stuff that's coming up is Tim, you can find him on Twitter. Still Minner, hello, Tim. Hello there. I am Clive. You can find me on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul was meant to be on the pod, but then as of this morning, we changed the recording time to a time that Paul is unavailable. So Paul, I guess, got the blue card today. He'll be back in the near future. Uh, and so will many others, as I'm sure you are well aware. So let's start with some Arsenal stuff, because this is the Arsenal Vision podcast, not the other stuff Vision podcast. And Tim... Takahiro Tomiyasu is both back at Arsenal and staying at Arsenal, returning mm -hmm. uh, from what is a disappointing result in the Asian Cup, uh, crashing out to Iran, but good for Arsenal in that he is back, uh, especially since Zinchenko is carrying who knows what injury, which is just sort of like saying Zinchenko exists. But we have Tomiyasu back. Kivior put in a good performance at the weekend as well, so there's lots and lots to discuss over on the left-back side of things. But let's start with the contract. What do you think of Arsenal giving Takahiro Tomiyasu a new contract? I think this one... On its surface, seems like straightforwardly good, but I actually think it's a little more complex than that. What's your reaction to it? Yeah, I, I think it's good. Um, obviously, that like the only reason to contest this would be his injuries, um, his injury situation. I I don't think it's nearly enough for us to say, oh, this guy's just always injured and is going to be always injured in perpetuity. You, I, I don't think you can rule out that it's maybe bad luck. Um, at this stage, like sometimes, like Gabrielle basically hasn't been injured in three and a half years. A lot of that will be good luck 
as much as anything. Um, and look, he might be, he might be due. Um, you know, I, I, w- I was grabbed by, uh, for people who watched the step-by-step documentary about Viv Miedema and Beth Mead's uh, ACL injuries, They uh, Gary Lewin uh, was on it because he's the head of sports science for Arsenal women. And he was saying in women's squads, it's ACLs are an average of one a year per squad. And what happened at Arsenal? They went four years without one and got four in one year. Like <laughs> that's... That's how that's it how goes. averages work. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's how it goes. So what I'm saying is maybe Tommy Asu has got all of his injuries out of the way for the rest of his career. No, I mean, maybe he is injury prone. Maybe he's not. We, we don't know. I think you kind of have to trust that the club have done that due diligence. Um, and was like, he's got 18 months left on his deal, hasn't he? Like you've kind of got to make the decision now. You can't wait another year to see how he comes through it. So either you say, "Mm, I think this guy's going to be injured all the time, or you say, you know what? He's been a little bit unlucky. There was one recurrence, like the knee injury against Lisbon. That's kind of unlucky, isn't it? There was in his first season, I think we mismanaged him and we kept rushing him back. Um, I do think there's also something about Maybe he isn't going to be one of those 90 minutes every week players. Zinchenko isn't. I think we've discovered that now. And I think a big part of buying someone like Timber to have alongside Tommy Asu and Zinchenko was recognising that, recognising that, okay, maybe we need to share the game time out or, or, or among these guys. But for me, um, I, I just think our defence is better having Tommy Asu there, someone who can operate very, very well in all four of those positions. I really, really liked earlier in the season the kind of 70-20 model we developed with Zinchenko and Tommy Asu, um, where Tommy Asu comes on for the, the last 20. Don't know how much he likes that role. <laughs> um, but, you know, Tommy Asu actually reminds me a bit of Jorginho in that not every game is one I'd start him in, but there are plenty I'd start him in across the season. So I, I think it's it's a bit of a no-brainer unless the medical guys really uncovered something that they felt that they should be really, really be wary about. And despite Clive's cynicism about the player, the fact that he doesn't like him, never wants to see him play, um, and he's I'm afraid he's just going to have to get over that and, and become yeah. a fan of Tommy Asu. I agree. And I think we try to root out agenda on this podcast. And it's one that's really been a thorn in my side and trying to get Clive to move away from it. But agenda being what it is, it is hard to root out. It really, really is. Um, Clive, now that we stitched you up, let's get your opinion of it. I mean, I I think it if if there's any reason people will be opposed to it, I think it would probably purely be on the injury grounds. And this is what is difficult. Having a player who is not available when you need them can really destroy your season, wreck your season. Like if you think about last season, it wasn't the Saliba injury that killed us. It was the Saliba injury and the Tomiyasu injury that left us having to use players that were below the necessary level. And that's the exact moment you say, oh, having a Tomiyasu in the side is so clutch because when Saliba went down, we could bring him in, but we couldn't. And we've had other times this season already when Zinchenko went down, oh, we can bring in Saliba, but we couldn't. And we had to play Kiwi or at left back. And so if people, if there are people listening who are opposed to this deal, I think they will oppose it on those grounds that he just hasn't been fit enough and reliable enough to be someone that we want to commit to and that we we are putting ourselves back in a similar situation. So is that really the principal grounds of debate for this topic for you? Yeah, it is. Uh, Tim's covered it really well. He said that our defense is better when Tommy Asu plays. I think... I would summarize it and say our defense is different when Tommy Asu plays, depending on how we want to use him. And there is a game this weekend against a team that has two lefties that like to sit in that um, right half space from their attacking side. And if uh, if I'm sitting here with my two intelligent friends and I'm asking you which left back do you want to? Is there fight someone else on the both? pod that I'm not that I'm not seeing in the recording window? Who's I, uh, oh, that was me. I, I don't need to say this because you know what I'm going to say um, if if we had the choice to choose somebody to fight off Bowen and Kudos, we'd be choosing him, wouldn't we? Regardless of our liking for Sinchenko on a home day and uh, other players, we'd be choosing him to to fend them off on that side and really give us some stability and um and I hope that's what does happen at the weekend. So he brings something at times in the season that we really, really need. So 
you know, using him as a player that can we deploy to keep others fresh. I mean, Ben White's got his own, you know, he's got his uh, bandages on, shall we say? Um, <laughs> his strapping, strapping. For those of you who missed that episode, Clive referred to that in in the incorrect way. Uh, quite uh, Tim, we know, is going to have to come back into his return to play protocol. He's going to have to be eased back in, and Tommy Asu needs to be eased in full stop anyway. So between you add Zinchenko, between the four of them, <laughs> we're going to get two players whenever we need them, and and that and that's fine. And and more importantly, listen to the, the manager speak. He seems to be somebody that's liked within the squad, liked within the club, brings something unique to us from a defensive point of view. Excellent in the air, excellent in the air. And how often do you see a player so good in his wrong foot? Really good, and yeah. you know, very two footed. So very unique and. Uh, I'm glad he's here. We move on and build in other areas, which I'm sure we'll get to during the podcast. Yeah, and I I think the reason I'm just about fine with this, regardless of the injury issues, is it is such a difficult position to solve for, which is someone, and Tim, you covered this already, so I'll just say it again so that I sound like I'm intelligent as well, since Clive already gave me that compliment. Someone who can play any of the four defensive positions and you're comfortable with them starting. That is a very, very rare trait. And it it makes the calculus of how you have to build your squad a lot easier. I think it's one of the low-key interesting things about having Gabriel Jesus up front, by the way, is that when he's fit, if you had to play him left wing, right wing, center forward, you're fine with it, right? Um, I think versatility is not in and of itself a, a good quality. But versatility, when you can maintain the level, that's a huge quality. Right. I, I think, you know, just being like, oh, you know, Cedric could play left wing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> At what level? <laughs> right. Um, but Tomiyasu, I think, can play any of the four defensive roles at a level that we'd be comfortable with. Um, and I do think this weekend will be interesting. We don't know the extent of Zinchenko's calf injury. Kivior did well playing a half against um, Liverpool, which is no mean feat. But I don't think he's convinced it left back enough where people want to see him start this game. And Tomiyasu's just back. And is he ready to dive right back in? I'll be very curious to see the decision we make there. Um, it'll be a timeshare, no doubt. Yeah, it'll be a timeshare yeah. on that left, on left-hand side. I don't know many car strains that, that fix themselves in six, seven days. So it'll be a timeshare. Whoever starts, doesn't really matter. Let's, um, since we're on it, Let's just stay on the West Ham preview. We can talk a little bit about City. We can touch on blue cards if we want. We can talk about this, that, and the other thing. But we're on the West Ham game now, I guess, with that conversation. So, Tim, I'll let you take swing at this. They've beaten us twice this season, granted once with a rotated side in a, in a cup tie, and once in a game that I think many of us feel we were just very unfortunate. Um, you know, it, it was a game that's been talked to death in terms of were we dominant or not? We created a lot of chances, but were they clear chances? Look, they haven't won this year sort of a cheeky way to put it because there's only been five weeks in this year. But um, they looked really, really poor in their last game. Uh, Did not seem to compete for that one at all. So how do you think we approach this? Um, I don't know Jesus's fitness, so we're kind of guessing there. Could you see him just running back what he did against Liverpool? Obviously, it's a very, very different game that we're facing here. Yeah, I I could see that because on, on one hand, I'm not... Definitely sure I'd do that. But one thing I think we know about Arteta is he does like to reward good performances. So I I know I've seen that quite a few times where I think, oh, yeah, that really worked in the last game. But I think that was a tactic for the last game. And then the next game comes and that same guy is still there. Um, And whether it's because he believes in rewarding performances, good performances, whether he thinks it's a momentum thing, I'm not sure. But also particularly because I'm assuming Zinchenko isn't going to be fit. I think there'd be more call for Jorginho anyway. Um, So hopefully Tomiyasu can play at left back because if you look at... The goal could have uh, scored um, in the in the League Cup game earlier this season. Maybe West Ham's equaliser um, when we played there last April as well. They they did target that space with Zinchenko, and you can 
you can bet they'll do it again, quite frankly. So I think Tommy Asu's return is very, very timely, even if Zinchenko was fit, quite frankly. So without Zinchenko, there's probably even more reason to play Jorginho there. And it, it was really interesting because it was a different role for him against Liverpool. I don't think we've really seen him play before on the left and kind of pushing up a bit more. And he's 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 a great passer as well. He really is. He really can break lines with his passing. He's got that lovely ball in behind, which particularly so if he's over on the left, someone like Martinelli could really, really benefit from. Mm. I think one of the issues for Martinelli this year is he hasn't had that passer near him because that's not really who Havertz is. Hasn't had that like dagger pass in behind. Mm. Um, the kind that Ben White often gives to Saka as well. So I, I, I could definitely see him um, sticking with the same. Could see him sticking with Havertz up front as well. Um, again, on one hand, I'm inclined to think that that was a tactic for Liverpool. But on the other hand, I wouldn't be shocked to see it again. And again, we, we don't really know the situation with Jesus. And look, that's another player where he's picking up a recurring injury, which kind of says when we're bringing him back, he's not 100%. And if we've had a guy who's just played really well up front, even if Jesus is fit, which we don't know yet, we've just had a guy who's put in a really good performance up front, yeah, why not stick him up there again? And if it doesn't work after 60, 65 minutes, no drama. You can put someone else on um, and into the game. I think is it this game, not last season, season before, Eddie had a really, really good game at West Ham as well. So, mm-hmm. like, there's other options um, around there. And, and I think in Jorginho, we kind of found him a couple of months ago, maybe when Erdegaard w- wasn't really fit and Zinchenko wasn't really fit. But I feel like we found him again, um, actually, and it, and it just gives us that little bit more optionality. It's, it's kind of almost like having party back, without having party back. Um, and if we found Havertz up front, it just looks like maybe we're beginning to develop that optionality that I really, really think Arteta wanted a lot earlier in the season, but couldn't have um, due to absences and injuries. Yeah, this is a very different game than the one we just came off of. We played West Ham twice, lost twice. Their high water mark in the cup tie, they had 28% of the ball. In the league fixture, they had 27% of the ball. Um, by the way, they're 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 matching the Newcastle approach of beat Arsenal and then go on to be one of the worst teams in the league after that. Newcastle have been dreadful since beating us uh, quite shambolically through that terrible call at the end of the game. And West Ham have gone on to be dreadful since beating us as well. I mean, look, if you can't beat Manchester United, what are you even doing? But Clive, I, I sort of wonder, given that we're going to have all of the ball, we just know that. We, w- we will have all of the ball. If... The manager will prioritize picking the lock. And I, and I do think that Jorginho gives us the ability to do that um, in a way that we haven't, not from the edge of the final third, but from just outside of it, right? Or or just inside of it, not from the top of the box, not the little one-twos. I think he can find those runs, those little dagger runs. But the, the player that I kind of have my eye on a bit is Troussard. He's really, I think, shown his importance from an end product standpoint when he's been given a chance. And I just kind of have a weird sense that the manager might find a place for him in this game. Maybe it's at false nine. Maybe it's instead of Martinelli. Martinelli has looked good when there's been space this season, but he's really sort of, I think, struggled against these low blocks. Do you think Troussard could come in and could be a key to unlocking the defense a little bit? Because he's, I think he's been an incredibly important player for us when he's been on the pitch recently. And especially, um, when when defenses want to sit a little deeper, yeah, that's really good idea. I, on my pre uh, pre pod exercise think session, I thought I was thinking. You just got your walk. We know. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking about that because um, they are going to be deeper, and Trossard is the one two killer, isn't he? If he gets a shot, or take it in small spaces, and mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, I think that's a good shout. I, I think. It doesn't. It wouldn't worry me either way, you know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, oh, you know, that's a bad decision. But you got to make sure you use people at appropriate times. From watching Jorginho and Rice together, I have to say, it did surprise me how not just how well Jorginho played because he he did play exceptionally well, but his emotional support to the base of our team really stood out to me. His leadership. 
And as these games become very, very big, and trust me, this game is huge. It's mm. massive for us to follow up that last result. I think the emotional support that Declan Rice needs in this game in particular is very important. I've seen two well, games this season. <laughs> I've seen two games this season where I felt he hasn't been himself, Rice, and the rest he's been a out of ten. One was Fulham, but that was tactical. That the fact we left him on his own, and he just ran out of legs with everybody else. And one was the West Ham home game where he did fine, but I felt there was a lot of noise and a lot of chitter chatter. And I felt it affected him emotionally, you know. And he, that's the only time I looked at him and, and, and wondered. I would have Georgina next to him all day long. So to reduce the amount of roles he has to do so he can focus on seeking and destroying and counter-pressing and creating chances for us in disorganized play. Because West Ham, make no mistake about this, West Ham will be ready. They, it was quite hurtful, that home game. Maybe because I was walking amongst them on the way to the train station. It really bothered mm-hmm. me. And um, they really let us have it that night. You know, as a fan, they, they won it off the pitch. They, they won it, fortunately, on the pitch. It wasn't that unfortunate. You know, we sort of beat ourselves. And they really won the night. You know, Tim, you know you've been away a few times and you're out seeing them. You win the game. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You win in all facets of the game and you get on the train away home and you think, you're, you've been done. They did us. They did us. On and off the pitch, they did us. And if I, I tell you, I'd love to be in that dressing room before the game to a team talk. It's time for us to lift our performance for Declan Rice. You can't have them not taking a mickey out of him three times in the season. They beat us. And while they're patting their money under the mattress they took from our club for this player can't have that and so I do think Jorginho has to play I trust I'd find anything in it he's really smart wouldn't bother me either way but we should use the squad Martinelli looked amazing last week but imagine if we do score the first goal and he comes on and chins him do you know what I mean when spaces open up so it could easily happen as for I'm not sure if you're going to go into Havertz but as for Havertz for me that's a, that's a dead set has to play you know, you'd, you'd play him at center forward for sure. In absolutely, space. Okay. But again, if Trossard, Jesus is fit. Yeah, well, Jesus hasn't been fit for a while, so why are we rushing him back? Okay. It's obviously, yeah. it's obviously sacrificed himself at Forest. And by the way, we need him at Forest. You know, mm-hmm. but he sacrificed himself for us at Forest, and then didn't wasn't able to make it. You know, wasn't able to back it up. So we got look, we got to look after him, right? So whatever happens, and he's, he's, not, he's got to play against Porto. His Champions League record goes, you know, un, unmatched and he has to be available for that tie. So Absolutely. I think when you look at, what do we have? I think we have, do we have Burnley or Sheffield United away saying next? Who do we have next? after Burnley. Burnley, Burnley away. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, you cannot look past any Premier League fixture, of course, but if Jesus is on the edge, we need him for Porto. So yeah, Clive, I, I'm fine yeah. with that if that's we got We got to go that way and and there was such, I mean, the Liverpool game, I, I am still watching it. I loved it. You know, just absolutely loved everything about it. And um, there's so much to take from it. But you, you you haven't got to squint too much. Just look at the impact that, that we had all over the pitch on their key people. And and Havertz is definitely part of that. And he allowed other people to flourish. And I, I love seeing clarity of direction. So now we're seeing clarity of direction and relationships. We've seen Havertz and Odegaard, clarity. Jorginho and Rice, clarity. We know what's potentially going to happen to left back to solidify and grow. We know that it's not going to be inverted too often. If we do invert, other people roll outside. I'm liking this. I'm liking that we're finding our balance, which is what I always hope for. City did not find their balance till the home game at the Emirates last year in the second half. That's when they found themselves. And I was always hopeful we would find ourselves during the season so we can then lean on that in the, in the last third of the season. Yeah. Tim, I, I want to get your thought on that. I mean, it's interesting in a way because we, it suddenly feels like we have options, which I'm not sure it felt like even just a few weeks ago. And there is this, there is this thing that we're doing, I think as fans of being like, there it is. Kai can play nine. You know, we've, we've found him and Chelsea fans are laughing a little bit like, Oh, you're in the Kai can play nine phase, right? Like, I still think sometimes we have to take Mikel at face value. And Clive has typed into the box double 10. And yeah, I totally hear you, Clive. That box that we created against Liverpool. I think it's harder 
Can I say something, yeah, Elliot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think Kai Havertz has always been a top-of-the-box player, right? Yeah. It's just where we start him from. So his secondary role is either you're tucking next to your six or your secondary role is you press from the front. But he's a top-of-the-box player. If people can stop this left eight, nine thing, we play a box and he always plays top of the box. But then when we yeah. flip into our organized defense, his role changes depending on his role on that day. So if he is a left eight, he drops into be a double six and a four, four, two. If he is a top of the box player, like a 10 or a, or a, or a double 10, you become one of the front two in our four, four, two press. That's the difference. So we can wipe this from our minds and we can see the player. You see what I mean? And hey, look, it takes a bit of time for it to sink in. Mm. That's, what, that's how I've always viewed him. And someone who could do that many jobs becomes a positive player, not a negative one. Yeah, it's a really good video on 442 on YouTube talking about sort of how we created that first goal in Kai's role and that, you know, he would drop deep and that gave the center backs no one to cover. And so the center backs stepped up and then the ball went out wide. And then when the fullback went out wide, Kai had a pocket of space to kind of run into. Hard to say with audio what they showed with video, but, and it worked beautifully. Um, removing that focal point and giving the center backs a tough call about whether they step up and press the man in front of them and then the room they leave behind. But I think everything changes when a team is going to sit 12 yards from their goal and just put bodies in front of you. So it really depends on how you think you're best built to break that down. Um, but I would be very surprised if Kai wasn't in the lineup coming off a performance that I think a lot of people have been impressed with. He's still got to put the ball in the back of the net. Obviously that's, that's the next step. Um, and they were saying on that four, four, two video, this would have been a much more fun video to make if he just sticks it in the back of the net beautifully, but at least it goes in the back of the net and that's all that really matters. Um, any, before we get into the, the dynamics of the game more tactically, any other sort of lineup questions, concerns or thoughts for you, Tim? I mean, we know that Party had his setback, so I don't expect that we'll be seeing him anytime soon. Do, do you agree that Jesus being kept wrapped in cotton wool with an eye towards Porto is the right way to think about this, or is that too risky, given we've seen this team throw away cheap points in the Premier League before? I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine because, you know, we can always give him half an hour um, at the end. I, I think the other thing that might um, dictate this a little bit is that, if you look at, well, it kind of depends what West Ham do in their double pivot because they've been playing uh, Alvarez alongside Sushek, but now they've thrown Calvin Phillips into the mix. And that it, it, it's early days, but that hasn't worked for them so far because he's very different um, from both players. And, and actually, I think they're carrying a bit of redundancy there because they've already got James Ward-Prowse as well. So I don't really get why they need, well, they felt they needed Calvin Phillips unless it was like for cover, which I kind of think is fair enough. But the games I've seen since they brought Phillips in, they've kind of chopped and changed a little bit there in, in their midfield uh, with what they're doing. So it, it does kind of depend on what they're going to do. But I do think Sushek will start regardless, not least because of the threat he carries from set pieces. But, you know, if you put Havertz left eight, I think you run the risk of him banging up against Sushek, if that makes sense. And basically you're putting our best aerial player directly up against their best aerial player, which hmm. probably neutralizes the threat a little bit. Whereas I think if, if he's a bit further forward as a nine um, and doing all of those things, which, you know, you were just talking about, about kind of dragging defenders out of position and things like that, which we're going to need to try and do in this game. Um, it, it, it might be harder because they might just say, well, we'll just sit. Um, on the edge of the box in that in that scenario, but I I do kind of think that this might be the sort of game. I mean, I'd, I'd stick with Rice and Jorginho, but it is interesting that against the deep blocks, we we did start Fabio Vieira at Everton. We started Leandro Trossard in that position at Brentford. We mm. started Emil Smith Rowe in that position against Forest. So it depends on what. Arteta thinks how conservative he expects West Ham to be. And I guess West Ham are kind of similar to Forest in that I do expect them to sit back, but then they've got those really fast players on the outside. They've been playing Jared Bowen up front 
um, now, which I think is actually a really sensible decision for them. And the, the Moyes does this. You give Moyes an actual striker and he cannot work out what to do. But you, but he converts players into strikers. It's so weird. He's done it his whole career. But so they moved Bowen up front. So they they're just packed with speed. Um, Kudos should be back, shouldn't he, from Afcon? I, um, I believe so. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Which which is kind of unfortunate as well. Yeah. Um. But but they're they're also short in terms of um uh, options out wide because they can't sub players in like they did. They 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 got rid of a couple of players in January. They were trying frantically to get another wide player. They wanted ESR off of us. So, Mm. and West Ham fans do have a real bone of contention with the lack of subs that Moyes makes. And when he makes them, he tends to make them very, very late in the game. So I think like, don't concede a silly goal. Don't go, don't do what we did in the Carabao cup game and concede a silly goal from a corner and go one nil down and play into their hands. Same at the Emirates. We went one nil down. We played into their hands, you know, let's see that, that off ball solidity. And then I think we can wear them down. Cause I do think they're, they're a little bit threadbare injury wise. They don't make a lot of substitutions. And I do think they're just working out what to do in their midfield at the moment. And if there's any confusion there, we should be capitalizing on it. Yeah. And I mean, it. Mikel has a weirdly bad record against Moyes, by the way. Um, he He's delivered us some bad memories since Mikel's been here. Last, last season, certainly one of them in this fixture. Uh, also, by the way, this fixture from last season, a good reminder that if we get the lead to be conscientious with it, right? Uh, something that I don't think we've always been very good at recently. Clive, any other tactical considerations that you want to bring in here? I, I think, by the way, Ben White looking more fit now is a big, big difference in this game. I think Ben White's fitness levels and his contribution when we're in the attacking third make a big difference to how we unlock these these deep blocks. So I'm looking for him to have a big role as well. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it'll be a, a West Ham attack their right. We maybe attack our right. That's what I think mm. it could be. Um, just to add on Tim's point about the midfield, just a bit more. Um, in the May United game, they played like almost like a four-three-two-one, and they had Alvarez, Phillips, and Suchek as a three, with Ward Prowse and, K- and Kudos tucked in as like two tens behind um, Jared Bowen. But they changed that for the what the game before the last game, and they and Phillips is on the bench, right? So. I think against us, they will do similar to what they did against Manchester United, maybe. Pack it with centre mids, get them to track side to side and see if they can hold us out. So, um, But Tim's bang on about their changes from the bench. I, I think they lack they lack um, wide speed. Maxwell Cornet's come back into the group and he hasn't played many minutes. Did they lose Ben Rama? I think they sold him, didn't they? Ben Rama got sold. They did in the end, yeah. yeah. And so the, and uh, four nows. Yes, well. thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, so they are maybe lacking that bit of attacking mid-ingenuity, shall we say. But they're still a deep-lying counter-attacking team. That's what they are. We're quite good at suppressing counter-attacks. We've got to stick the ball in the back of their net, right? So we can develop counter-attacks ourselves. I mean, I know it's out. I think we need to go there. You know, they, they, they did us, really. In the league game, we had them beat, but we just managed to find snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And we were going for that period when, you know, basically we can all sit there thinking we could be here till Tuesday, we're not scoring. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, and that was just a period that we're in. And then a few weeks later, goalkeepers are dropping it at our strikers' feet and we're sliding it in the net. And that's how football can change. We're getting deflections going for keepers' legs. The amount of deflections I was begging for against West Ham just never happened. 28 million block shots that just went straight back to the direction where they come from. You know, so um, so we've got to keep doing what we do and get our shots off nice and early and um, see what see if their goalkeeper can not be play like Gordon Banks for a day. You know what I mean? Because that seemed yeah. to happen the last game as well, right? So, um, but yeah, that's where we are. 30 shots, 2.7 expected goals, none scored. And so, you know, what, what are you going to do, right? Um they, by the way, they do have Kudus back. He played against United, it would appear. So <clears throat> definitely back. I, I think this is one, you know, one thing I think Mikel has actually been good at is using past pain to motivate um, 
results and performances. You look at what we did to Newcastle right after they really destroyed our dreams um, two seasons ago. Last season, we went to St. James Park and we got revenge there. We've seen Mikel use past painful experiences to to turn things around. Forest away, I think, is another example. Look at how how many duels we won and how much we physically sort of monstered them after winning no duels there in the prior time we'd been there. So maybe there's something here that Mikel can latch onto because you've just come off such a high high. I think the biggest risk in this game, apart from just the usual risks, is coming off a high like Liverpool. Can you match that intensity? Can you get that level right back up again? And I'm sure he's going to be showing them celebration footage from the loss at the Emirates, celebration footage from them coming back to beat us and really start to wreck our title chances last season. He's going to have those players angry and wanting revenge. And I just, I think Mikel is a good motivator by and large. So I'm not too worried about the level dropping. I want to talk a little bit about City's form for a minute. I, I, and, I just, sorry, I just wanted to add really quickly to that. Arteta did say after the game last week, didn't he? He made the point about consistency. Mm-hmm. He was saying like Liverpool, I think he said best team in Europe at the moment, but he, and he said we showed we can match them, but he said something about, but they've been doing it for five or six years and that's what we've got to do. And I think he'll be making that point very strongly that like teams that win stuff don't win the big game and then, you know, do all of the stuff that we've been prematurely accused of doing, <laughs> celebrate and think we're it. They they come out next week and they win again and they win again. Yeah, yep. So let's, um, I want to shift gears a little bit to sort of think about the title race in terms of who we're up against um, in Manchester City. We can talk blue card stuff a little bit too, because why not? That could be fun. But if we're going to do that, <clears throat> I just don't, I don't know. I think we need the energy to do that. I think we need the boost to get us through a conversation about Manchester City because it can be very dispiriting talking about them. So you need that extra energy. And if you need extra energy, you need AG1. AG1 is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's the good stuff. I mean, look, <clears throat> I'm willing to bet most of you listening eat some kind of vitamin, multivitamin. And I bet for a lot of you, it's a gummy. And I bet if you turned it around, the number one ingredient would be sugar. <clears throat> a lot of calories from sugar. It's not great. It's not great, is it? AG1 is built from the good stuff. It's something that your body can absorb and use. It's for gut health. It's for energy and recovery. Designed by athletes with athletes in mind. So great for recovery in that respect. I started taking it for gut health. For me, it's simple. I get up, I go downstairs, put a scoop in the water bottle, fill it with water, shake it up, drink it down. It's helped me get off the coffee. Not off it completely. I still like coffee and you know, coffee's great. Why would you ever stop drinking coffee? But it's gotten me off the third and fourth and fifth cup of coffee. And that's a good place for me to be, especially if you've uh, listened to me talk before. It's whole body nutrition. It's keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, vegan-friendly, dairy-free. It's something everyone can take. And I hope you'll give it a try. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. Check it out now. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is therapy, and therapy is something everyone should do. It's really that simple. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up, and um, you know, I think like a lot of holidays, especially holidays that emphasize coupling, can be hard if you're not in a couple, if you're in a couple that's not working out great, if relationships are a, a challenge for you. Maybe you're in a relationship that's been going on a long time, and you just haven't worked on yourself, and as a result, it's it's having an impact on your relationship. I mean, Valentine's Day is definitely one of those times, kind of like the Christmas holidays where it can be great, but it can also be really hard. And so, you know, the, the best way to handle that, I think, is to just talk to someone and work on yourself. And BetterHelp is real therapy. Therapy where you don't have to leave your home, you don't have to drive to an office. What if that person doesn't work out with you? Do you drive to another office? It's a more cost-effective way to do it. You can do it with the camera off. It's fantastic. So become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com vision. Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. You, sir, have nailed it. Okay, let's move on to Manchester City. I don't know what to say, Clive. I just think, you know, okay, it took 115 financial breaches or breaches of financial rules and corruption and all that, but I think they've built a pretty good team through the use of of all of those methods and means. Uh, They're on a pretty good run. They're looking pretty tough right now. They're getting all their players back and fit at just the right time. We've all seen this story before. They're going to win every game for the rest of the season and finish on 123 points, and no one's going to catch them. Or maybe not. Um, I'll admit I watched their last game against Brentford, and I was sort of impressed by them, but I also think 
they give away a little more than I feel like maybe they've given away in the past. I think you can sort of get at them, um, get the ball and and push them back and find some space against them defensively, but they look good. So, so this is just a basic way of saying, are we seeing the beginning of City doing what City do again, or, or is this team vulnerable? What's your take on where City are right now? A lot of people felt that the Arsenal win over Liverpool was actually just a confirmation of City's uh, coronation, a march to the title. What do you think of them as the title favorites currently? Yeah, I think this is something I'll think about earlier really, on, on my walk. I think sometimes before... For our game. fundraiser, Clive, I'm just going to stop you. For our fundraiser this year, one of the things we're going to have is is uh, we're going to auction off a co-walk. You can walk, <laughs> with, you can go on one of Clive's walks. It's going to be a, a top seller. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer that games are won before kickoff, right? Mm. And the psychological approach to Liverpool was perfect for Arsenal. The way we approached that game, and the way Arteta approached the, the fans, even the video coming out in the morning of the game. You got into that stadium, you thought, yeah, mate, this is it, it's on. And we and then we then delivered one of the best days of the season. I think sometimes how you approach games, how you approach your psychological net profile within the season is really important. And City have a profile based on their history that they can just turn up and just do ten games in a row. The way it does, it creates an aura around them. And it was so interesting to see Arsenal's approach to the Liverpool game. I thought we smashed through their aura. We smashed through their defensive aura. I think it's very important as fans that we don't think they have this aura that's undefeated. You know, we have to think we can chip away at it. So City now start to put a couple of runs together. Everyone goes, well, that's it. That's it. It's done. It's over. It's, we just need to stay in the room. You know, and people need to stay in the room with them because they do have a set of games coming up around in March sometime, I think, when they play like us, they play Liverpool. I think they got Chelsea quite close together. I can see Tim nodding, he knows all this stuff, right? So um They've got Spurs and Brighton away. Right, in the same period. So the, if we stay in the room till that period, we don't know their mental strength until we if we unless we stay close to them. And find out what yep. they have. I think it's very important that we do that, and, and other people are aware of that. They're just they're just normal. But it's a bit like it's like Bayern Munich towards the end of the season last year. We all felt they were going to get that win they needed to win the league. And what happened? Bristol Dortmund messed up. They messed up when they had it in front of them because mm. psychologically they were they weren't as strong. Everything positions against them. I think it's really important for us as a fan group and as a club is that we truly believe we belong at this table. And maybe that's what last Sunday was all about. You know, we maybe believe, but this Sunday it needs to happen. But City, I, I don't want to say I'm not buying it because they've got all the trophies in the, in the cupboard. But unless you really do focus on chipping away at them, you're not going to beat them. Yeah. And I mean, the... The interesting thing here is they still play Liverpool and Arsenal, right? So I think they go to Liverpool and we go there. And it's hard not to think that the title is probably going to be shifted or decided by those fixtures, right? Because if City win both those fixtures, it's almost a guarantee they're going to win the title. And we know this from last season. If you can take six points off your direct rival, it becomes very, very difficult for them to find the points to to come back for that. If we had taken... If we had beaten City once last season, we would have been champions, even as much as it felt like our season collapsed. That's how close it was. So, you know, I think the I think the reason, Tim, that maybe people have more confidence in them, first of all, is they've done it a billion times, but also us losing games like Fulham or, you know, drawing Fulham at home or losing Fulham away or losing to West Ham at home, rightfully have people questioning us because what people think we'll do is drop silly points along the way that you can't drop. And I I get that, but, you know, I don't think that it's beyond City to do that. I mean, people forget City dropped points to Lampard's Everton last season, okay? So really, you know, as much as they were all conquering, crazy things happened. I think what it boils down to, Tim, is teams are streaky. It's kind of rare Mm -hmm. that a team is just good consistently at the same level all season. We were a 100-point team for half of last season. We were a 60-point team for half of last season. City had a three-game streak this season where they didn't win a game. So it's really about being hot. And I think it just boils down to who can be 
hot at the right time. And Clive has always said, I want us to be finishers. So do you think, do City look teed up now to finish the season strong as ever? Do you think maybe we're better prepared to be finishers? How do you see sort of us being positioned from a form standpoint to match what City have proven they know how to do, which is be ready for the run the run in? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you can look at it and say, well, <clears throat> City went away for the Club World Cup and no one pulled away from them in that time. And now they've got De Bruyne and Haaland back. And, and I, I think that makes sense as a line of thought. I understand why people are thinking that. But when you look at last season, De Bruyne, they pushed him until his hamstring fell off and it fell off in the Champions League final. You, you know what I mean? Like in some, maybe that was just, good on the part of their medical team he did say he was playing with it for quite a long time and it it got like one game too much and but that could have been luck as well that could have happened a month earlier and instead of us losing Saliba in March De Bruyne's hamstring could have fallen off in March you know like basically I think injuries you know key injuries will go a long way um I, there's a stat going around that Rodri hasn't lost the Premier League game in a year and, you know, the, the, clearly that's a bit of a kryptonite uh, factor for them. I think um, I listened to a really good podcast this morning. It was one of the Athletics Daily ones, and it was called Why City Might Not Win the League. Mm. It's really interesting to listen to some of the reasons. And, and actually, one of the first things they talked about was that City keep conceding from their first shot on target which is really, really That's interesting. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they were speculating there must be something about the way that Arsenal and City play that makes them vulnerable to that first shot going in. Because they listed like five or six times where it happened. And they were talking about like there was a three-all draw with Spurs and Spurs had three shots on target. And, you know, maybe maybe it's just like it's something. it says something about those teams don't give up chances, but when they do, they're really big ones, for example. Um, but on the kind of, should we say, like the plus side, they were always t they were talking about as well how City seem to find a player every year that you forgot about um, who pops up in about March. And at the moment, Foden might, might be that player like because they use Foden against deep blocks because he's so good in tight spaces. And, and City have this weird thing, don't they, where... They seem to just lose a player or a player falls out of favour. It's Grealish at the moment. Like Grealish can't get on the pitch at the moment. I, I bet you by March, April, he's back in the team somehow. It's just, it's really weird how these players under Guardiola seem to fall in and out of favour. But a lot of that keeps them quite fresh as well. Like that John Stones into midfield move was all right. John Stones has always been that type of player, but they really lent into that last season. They just, and Stones was a player who wasn't getting in the team. And then all of a sudden he became indispensable in this new role. And that that's where Guardiola and City do have a bit of an edge. They do seem to be able to find something fresh every year or a player that you forgot about um, becomes like a, a, a really, really important player. And, and obviously they've done it time and time again. So of course they, they have that behind them. But I'm with Clive here. And in terms of us retaining our belief, which I kind of think we did last season as well. And because ultimately thinking about it over the last couple of days, I think that's where why Arsenal get the celebration stuff. And I don't think any other teams get it. It's because what, the likes of Carragher and Neville are doing, they can't or won't just say Arsenal play really well against Liverpool today, they beat them and here's how, or they do it a day later. They fast forward to May the 30th or something mm. and, and and they think, yeah, but Arsenal aren't going to win the league. So I have to come up with reason, like I have to put the end before the plot. Mm -hmm. I have to come up with how this movie ends now rather than just, like they might be right, but so, so they're looking for reasons now why we might not win the league in May. And it's just, it's actually really quite an odd and not correct way to think to just leap to the end like that. And because they're doing that in their heads, they start interpreting everything that way. So they think that when our players look happy, and by the way, 
go back and look at a recording of what actually transpired at the oh, full-time no. whistle. It's, no. It is not remotely no. riotous. It's just like there's, there's, some, like there's some high fives. They walk around the pitch. They applaud the fans. Like the way it's been covered would make you think that they were setting off flares. They really weren't. But in the heads of people like Carragher, Neville, et cetera, et cetera, they're thinking, ah, because my brain is, is trying to come up with reasons why Arsenal aren't going to do it, I think that that's where they are and they think they've done it. And it's like, no, they're in the moment and you're not. And because you're not, you're making that critical error that a lot of us make in everyday life is we see other people and we centre ourselves and that's what they're doing. And and that that's why, that's probably why we're having this discussion now because we do it a bit as well. We've like just beaten Liverpool, just dragged ourselves back into the race. And it's like, oh God, what are City doing? Kind of thing, which is still justified as well because they've won nine games in a row and we've seen them do this before. So, I, you know, I'm with Clive here and, and Paul said this as well, that perhaps we're better slightly hanging off the shoulder um, of this race until the end, that that might do us some favours. And Clive, you were saying a couple of months ago about how no one was talking about us because they were yeah. talking about Tottenham, and they're talking about Man United and, and all of that. People have started talking about us again um, because we beat Liverpool. But I think the best thing we can do, do our business, beat West Ham, beat Burnley, make sure we're last on match of the day again. Make sure That's that like important. the Guardian Yeah, make sure the Guardian Football Weekly does. Oh, and Arsenal beat Burnley 2-0. No one's surprised, are they? Brilliant. See you next week. That's kind of I, Obviously, we needed to beat Liverpool. We needed that belief. But I'm looking at the next few fixtures and I'd like a nice flat line there where we just put teams like Burnley, West Ham, Sheffield United that we've got coming up, put them away and have nobody talk about it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny too, the whole like looking for narrative. Oh, Arsenal bottled the league because they over-celebrated beating Liverpool. Or they bottled the league. But like, what's so funny is, right, you know what's actually a pretty good explanation for who won the league? The team of the best players in prime age with loads of experience winning titles won the league. Like the funny thing about the way people analyze stuff is they they look for reasons beyond the obvious. City were favorites to win the league last season. And you know what they went and did? They won the league. And guess who's favorites to win the league this season? Manchester City. And if they win the league, people will be like, oh, it's because Arsenal celebrated when they beat Liverpool. But also <laughs> some of these outlets as well, I think, whether consciously or otherwise, are trying to avoid the elephant in the room, which is this league is actually not very competitive. Yeah. So we've yeah. got to think of reasons other than uh, this team has all the money in the world and might have cheated on a grand scale to win all this stuff. Yep. And we can't really talk about that. Yeah, well, so... Uh, one thing, Clive, that I think could matter, and this will be an interesting litmus test for people like me who are the throw the domestic cups people that everybody hates and nobody likes, but Liverpool have a League Cup final and then they've got the Europa League back. City have Luton away in the FA Cup and they're going to win that. They're going to go pretty far in the FA Cup, I would imagine, and they have the Champions League. We just have Champions League and League. So we have at least a smoother glide path City already have games to make up. They're going to probably be playing every three days for the rest of the season period. Same with Liverpool. And maybe, just maybe, there's an edge there. Do you think that it'll be interesting to track the fitness and the sharpness and the preparation levels and the impact of not having that slightly extra congested fixture schedule? Because we know where it really gets bad is April and May. If City and Liverpool go deep in all of their respective competitions, they are going to have a nightmare of an April and May. So could that be a little bit of an unheralded advantage for us? It could be, but then City got a lovely, nice, easy Champions League draw. Is it Copenhagen they got, um, yep. which was a 16th team out of 16? And so mm. the best team got the 16th team. Cheers, thanks a lot. Whereas we've they'll got go strong. Yeah. I mean, we know that. Yeah, like, they'll, they'll, start they'll start it'll still Canadian. be yeah. it'll still be a less emotional game because they're used mm. to it, you know, and they're used to it. But they've been to two finals, semi-finals, Real Madrid semi-finals. They're used to it. We're not used to it. I mean, Porto. Let's be honest. The first home game this year was it? Was it? Um, I remember the first home game in Champions League, but we we played Spurs three days oh. later, and it was emotional yeah. for us. Yeah, we didn't manage that Spurs game energy wise. 
right? So, um, so yeah, we've got a way to go. Um, your point is absolutely valid, Elliot, but I will just flip it back to Arsenal a little bit because this week has been my, one of my favourite weeks of the season because we've been able to really have a look at the team without the noise of different things and nervousness. We've won a big game, three games on a spin. We're not kicking each other apart as fan groups, looking for problems, etc. We can now look at the team. And it, and it's quite clear it's quite clear to me now more than ever where we are. We have absolutely raised the floor of this team to a point where I think we can rock up anywhere in our executive coach and put in a really good performance. What we're all not sure of is how high the ceiling is of this team. And the ceiling factor is dictated by how we execute in front of them in front of those white sticks. I think we've definitely raised our level, which gives me a level of confidence. These big games, we are not just winning them, we are managing them. The games we've lost, we are managing them really, really well. We're just not quite getting level agreed or not quite executing. And so I feel less, I don't feel as scared. I'm not saying we're going to win everything. I don't feel as scared. If you just look at the, the Liverpool away game last season compared to the Liverpool away game this season, that epitomises Arsenal Football Club. The difference. Same point gained. The Liverpool home game last season. I mean, Tim, it was a morning kickoff, wasn't it, that day? We scored before we before I'd even finished my beer. And basically, I was on the edge of my seat for the entire day, it felt like. We won 3-2, but I never felt in control of that game. Never felt in control of that game. A year later, we win 3-1, and, people, and Liverpool's XG is the lowest since the French Revolution. Right. So basically, this is the difference. And we we can now talk about it, because we've had three wins. We can now talk about how we're getting better. And the way we're playing, if we can maintain health and fitness, is really, really got some serious, serious adult connotations about it. It's almost like, I, I, was, I was thinking, it's almost like you're doing a degree. First year you go to university, you just you just have a great time, mate. You go every nightclub, you're pulling in Freshers Week, you can't remember what you've done, and you, and it's just like, oh my gosh, she's great, and suddenly it gets serious. It gets serious, and you start to look at it, and I've got to start, if I want my... 2-1, I don't want a Desmond, I want my 2-1, I better, I better get with it, you know? I better get with it. And I think Arsenal are growing up, they're maturing. And if you want a first, there's a couple of things we need to put into our team, maybe from a forward perspective, or we have to develop a pattern, right? Now, are we going to get a first this year, or is it going to be next year? But it's coming, but we're going to find out what we're missing, but while we're doing that, we have created a level, which means we're not going to fail this degree, I hope. We're just going to be in the room. And once we're in the room, let's find out how, how, what their mentality is like. But if we're not in the room, because we can't beat Southampton at home, and we can't beat Brian at home, and we're tuning up at West Ham, and we find a way to lose that, then we don't deserve, we don't deserve anything. So we have to make sure that games like Sunday really get put away. Well said. Yeah, and I was just going to say if 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 we held them to their lowest XG since the French Revolution, let's just hope that we've sent their title hopes to the guillotine. Tim, <laughs> I was going to say on that on that uh, athletic podcast, I, I referenced Karl Anker um, was on, and he was he was he used a lovely phrase. He said Arsenal have gone from knockout artists to smothering. Oh. Um, he, he was really on that podcast with me, Tim. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was interesting what he said, actually, because obviously he has a very outside perspective as a Manchester United fan, so he's not Arsenal or City. And he was saying, like, I think Arsenal will win the league under Arteta. He said, I don't think it will be this year. But he was saying, like, I th kind of what you said there, Clive. He said, I think they'll find that they're maybe missing one thing to do it this, this year. But one thing Arteta and Arsenal have showed is they'll go out and get that thing, whatever it is. And what was it last year? We were getting eaten up off the ball. So who did we buy? We bought Declan Rice. Like yeah. There's a confidence that Arsenal off the pitch as well as on the pitch, very well coached. But and, and we've seen it with the goalkeeper as well. This manager will be ruthless. And if someone has to get out of the way to make way for that piece, they will be moved out of the way. We know that. And look, <clears throat> a lot of times 
what makes for fun narrative it gets talked about because it's fun, but what really matters is the practical realities. And like last season, we probably didn't win the league, not because we bottled it, but because William Saliba and Takahiro Tomiyasu were both injured at the same time and we had to play Rob Holding and it didn't work out. Um, you look at Liverpool, they rushed Thiago back, they brought him on against us. He's out again now. You know, maybe it's Rodri and KDB whose hamstrings go pop this season. You just don't know. It's it's going to be the injuries. It's going to be the other the other things you can't predict that nobody wants to talk about that wind up maybe deciding how this works out. Really quick, Tim, just kind of curious. I think one of the things that makes fandom very hard is that it's so tribal <clears throat> that you're looking for reasons to say your season's better than someone else's or you're better than someone else's. You know, like last season, for example, you couldn't pay me money to swap last season that we had with the one that Manchester United had. But Manchester United won the, the, the League Cup. They also lost to their rival 7-0. Okay? This season, Chelsea are in position, at least are alive, to win a domestic cup double. You couldn't pay me to have Chelsea's season. I'm just curious what you make of that and how we think about what success and failure is. Because I think the reductive view that win a trophy or it's failure leaves you in a really intellectually dishonest place where you find yourself saying a season like the one United just had or the season like the one Chelsea are currently having can be better than the team that pushes the title race to the end and has high, high moments in the league or is competing for the Champions League. You know, I, I'm wondering where you go with that because I look at a Chelsea that is in absolute disarray but is still alive for domestic cup double and I, I definitely think it challenges some preconceived notions about what success is in a football season. Yeah, it is. And it's not a straight line, but just look at what clubs do. Like even Spurs sat Mourinho five days before a cup final. Yeah. E- even even for Tottenham, like that wasn't enough. Uh, well, maybe they were worried they were going to win one and ruin their reputation as legendary <laughs> cup dodgers. But yeah, go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah. And like, look at, and, and this isn't really that new either. When Arsenal sacked George Graham, they'd won three trophies in two seasons. All cups though, because mm-hmm. what you're looking for really is sustainability. So Arsenal under George, they won the FA Cup and the League Cup in one season, finished 10th. They won the Cup Winners' Cup the next season, but were never in the title. Like They became a cup team, basically. And it was like, because they went from being a team that either won or challenged for the league, and then Graham became more conservative, became a cup team. That wasn't enough to keep him his job. Even in like the early 90s, um, before like the the top four in the Champions League and all of that, and that that is generally how clubs behave. Like, I don't think it would save Pochettino's job to win the Carabao Cup. Like, he's on a I think he's on a two year contract mm. or two plus one or something. So he's up for review in the summer, one way or another. And the Carabao Cup is not going to save him. It doesn't save managers. On the other hand, it's because you want that sustainability, right? You want a bit like like Liverpool in the first few years under Klopp kind of threw the cups away because mm. uh, they wanted to compete for the league and the Champions League. And then, you know, their squad got a bit bigger. They had more rotation options. They started picking up the cups as well, um, w- which I think is where we might be on the journey like last season I said one season only deal not only do I not care about the cups I want out of them as quickly as possible and I've never really felt like that before but I felt like we had a crack at the league and I didn't feel we had the squad now I feel more like we've got the squad and I think next year we'll have a better squad so I, I, I don't feel like those excuses reasons apply anymore so you're, you're looking for sustainability of effort even when Liverpool were throwing away FA, FA Cup games under Klopp five six years ago you knew that they'd come to a stage where they could compete for the FA Cup again but that wasn't the important thing for them to do at that time at the same time and I know Clive used this, I think, on maybe, I can't remember whether it was the rewatch of the director of football episode, but I don't want to be Pochettino Spurs. I don't want to be that team that's really, really good, but that just falls short and then doesn't win anything. I do want those trophies. I, I was gutted to go out of the FA Cup this year because it's so hard to win the biggest prizes that I do think it is important to pick up yeah. cups. Can I ask you a tough one then? Sure. Would you rather have been peak Pochettino's Spurs or late Arsenal under Arsene Wenger? Uh, Late Arsenal under Wenger because I don't think we were in a materially 
worse position than Spurs. Um, in terms I, of just like, the enjoyment, you think? like Because like, they made a Champions League final. They really did compete for leagues. They had two of the best forwards maybe in league history. They, I mean, yeah. they had more fun than we did, definitely, because okay. yeah. mm-hmm. they had a manager they loved, a team they loved. They weren't used to that. Trajectory um, too, right? You felt they exactly. were going up. You felt we were going down. Yeah. Exactly that, whereas we felt kind of miserable. But ultimately, I look back at that. No, I'll, I'll take my I'll yeah. take my three FA Cups under Arsene Wenger, and I don't think we were materially damaged that much by that period. We were for a couple of seasons, but I kind of think we're out of that now. And in the grand scheme of things, not a load of harm done. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, look, ultimately, I think we're in a stage right now where we should enjoy this journey because it's fun. But I realize at some point the journey has to get somewhere. And I think you got to walk a really fine line where you can enjoy the journey, enjoy the moments, enjoy wins like the one we had last weekend, enjoy a fun season like we had last season, and find that perfect balance of doing that, but not letting the standards drop and accepting that there has to be ultimate victory that you can put in a trophy cabinet as well. Can you find that balance? Can you enjoy the journey and find that balance? That's the key. Well, um, I think we should leave it there because we've got just so much more to talk about. We'll have an instant reaction this weekend. We're going to do one tomorrow. I think we might be due for a power rankings over on the Patreon tomorrow. And uh, by the way, if you've never signed up there, it'll go into your Spotify or in your Apple Podcasts or whatever. You don't have to listen to it on some new app. So very easy to do, very easy to try, and we'd love to have you over there. And um, as one other thing, if you can give us a, 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 a rating, on your podcast app, whether it's Spotify or, or iTunes, whatever you're listening on the Apple podcast player, we'd appreciate it. It What I've come to find out is that's critical for podcast discovery. So if new people want to find the podcast, the way they do that is ones that have gotten recently reviewed. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be appreciated. Let's, um, let's leave it there. Big game at the weekend. We'll have more for you tomorrow, more for you, um, throughout the weekend. And then of course on Monday. So Tim's on Twitter at Stillmanator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Bob's on Twitter, Clyde PFC. Thanks, Clyde. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter. Ain't gonna love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham Neil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.